And hello, it's me. Welcome to All Things Billy. I'm your host, Michael Anthony Giudicissi. Thanks for joining me. So good to see your bright, smiling faces. <laughs> for those of you that have bright, smiling faces. So I'm coming to you from the heart of Van Zandt County, Texas. And that is the uh, home area of one William Henry Roberts, better known as Brushy Bill Roberts. <laughs> And uh, you are expecting a brushy build discussion today, and you may get one, but it will not be from me. <laughs> uh, but the reason for that is pretty simple. Uh, I don't want to. Actually, I'm not prepared to talk about brushy bill. And there's so much there to unpack that, uh, you know, it, it would take several episodes and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, I've, I've invited some brushy bill experts to come on the show uh, and talk about uh, his story. But uh, today, I actually want to talk about somebody else, Mr. Third Place, and that is John Miller. Uh, as I was driving, the reason I'm in Van Zandt County, uh, full disclosures, I have a I have a little house here out in the woods. And so uh, I drove here today from Albuquerque and uh, all kind of along the route, I was thinking about uh, what I would uh, what I would want to talk about. And, I, and, you know, John Miller just came to mind. And a couple key things about him. Um, he's kind of a mystery man as it relates to the Billy the Kid story. Um, almost nothing is documented about him. It's all hearsay. His friend said this. He used to say that. And that was relayed by a friend of his sister's aunt's cousin. Um, so there's very little documentation on the life of John Miller. But one thing's for sure. Before July 14, 1881... John Miller didn't seem to exist anywhere in and around New Mexico. And uh, despite numerous searches among uh, records, they, he's just not found. In August, he shows up with Isadora, his fiancée, and uh, they get married in Las Vegas. And he's got a fresh bullet wound in his chest, according to advices from sources. And then they go on and they live this uh, life. But the, the John Miller's life is not that spectacular. If he was Billy the Kid, it's pretty spectacular up until July 14. But after that, it's it's not. I mean, he's you know he he uh, trains horses and he runs some cattle and he moves from New Mexico to Arizona and uh, he's you know in and out of money. Uh, but but none of that really matters. What's really interesting is what happens when John Miller dies. Because that's the point where, apparently, there's this uh, pickup of speed and traction about him maybe being Billy the Kid. Uh, so here's the way the story goes. And I'm, uh, I opened up this page. It's an Angel Fire page. It's titled Another Billy the Kid. I'm not exactly sure who... Like, there's no disclosure on these pages who writes them. But this thing's been up forever. Um, and the biggest challenge, and this is directly from the page here, unanswered uh, questions. Uh, here, let me uh, let me go up a paragraph. And, and everything written here, by the way, is, is pretty vague. Sometime in the 20s or early 30s, like it, just about everything with John Miller. Um, on March 12, 1937, Miller was admitted to the Pioneer Home in Prescott. That's a nursing home, Prescott, Arizona. 
Throughout the next few months, Miller made repeated attempts to get a friend of his or his son to visit him so he could finally set the record straight. However, all of his friends and son were too busy to reach him in time, and he died on November 7, 1937. He was buried in the Pioneer Home Cemetery with a memorial plaque bearing his name, along with the names of several other pioneers buried within the cemetery, including Big Nose Kate, Doc Holliday's woman, just one row and a few graves away. Following his death, the trunk he and Isidora owned wound up as property of the courts in Phoenix. A court representative took the trunk with him to Rama, New Mexico, looking for Miller's heir. While interviewing Miller's old friends, the representative reportedly told them that the contents of the trunk proved Miller was the kid. Nevertheless, no heir was able to be located, and the current whereabouts of the trunk are unknown. All right. So there's so much vagary in this, and this is kind of the way that the books on John Miller's life are written because there's really no documentation. So here's the vagary. We know what day he was admitted into the Pioneer Home in Prescott. Throughout the next few months, Miller made repeated attempts to get a friend or his son to visit him so he could finally set the record straight. So does Miller know he's dying? If you want to set the record straight and you can't get anybody there, tell somebody from the rest home, hey, write my story down. Help me write a letter to somebody. Like the, the, the idea that he'd be laying in his bed, just gazing out the window going, somebody that I, you know, that I trust will get here before I die and I can tell him this story. No, you write it down. You tell somebody to write it down. You get the administrator of the uh, of the nursing home, or you get your nurse, or you get you know the guy down the hall. Like it, it doesn't make any sense that you would sit there and wait for apparently from March twelfth until November seventh, which is some I don't know eight months almost, and nobody could come and visit you. And if nobody visited you, that you did nothing other than just sit there and wait for them. So that sounds like. Um, Hyperbole. It sounds like somebody made up that part of it. Uh, sounds like somebody made up a lot of the story, actually. But anyway, he dies in November 7th. Following his death, the trunk he and Isadora owned wound up as property of the courts in Phoenix. Uh, I didn't have time yet to research what county, this would be a probate court, uh, what county Prescott was in back then. But if, if Prescott and Phoenix were in the same county, they are not now, as far as I know. Uh, then, okay, so the probate court in Phoenix gets the trunk, and the somebody takes the trunk, I'm assuming in a car, right, 1937, or a train, and they start driving around New Mexico looking for an heir of Miller's to give the trunk to. I don't think probate courts work that way. Uh, you you had you could write a letter, you could make a phone call, you could send a telegram. Like there was lots of ways to contact different jurisdictions to see if there were any next of kin. You don't have to rely on taking this big heavy trunk and dragging it around, you know, <laughs> around the southwest. It just doesn't make sense. What if you did that with every person that passed away? Would you load up like Beverly Hillbillies, all of their stuff, if you couldn't find who owned it and drive it around till you found somebody? So I don't think that that happened. I don't think a, an officer of a probate court in Phoenix drove around New Mexico interviewing people to give away a trunk. I really don't. But if it did, 
then they didn't find anybody because there were uh, the only next of kin was Max Miller, the adopted son of John and Isidore Miller, who returned by that point from World War One and was living uh, on the Navajo reservation. So let's assume that the probate court did indeed bring the trunk with them. They don't find anybody. What do they do? They go back to Phoenix and throw it away, burn it? Or do they tag it and put it in a warehouse somewhere? Or did they ever even actually have the trunk? Was it at the Pioneer Rest Home in Prescott? And does the probate officer drop it off there? Yeah, so many questions and, uh, you know, so many really kind of illogical things about the trunk. But the question is, was there ever a trunk? Yeah, most likely there was. Uh, Did it survive John Miller? Maybe. Maybe it burned up in the fire that killed Isidora. If it did survive John Miller, where did it wind up? I don't see that a probate court that would send somebody out for days on the road just to find the owner of this relatively insignificant trunk is going to just throw it away when they get back and go, oh, well, the hell with it. Especially if the officer says what's in here proves that this guy is Billy the Kid. I mean, could you imagine the probate officer gets back to Phoenix? He goes, hey, boss, I couldn't find anybody. Uh, I, I mean, this guy was Billy the Kid, you know, that the, the world's most infamous outlaw. Um, but screw it. Let's throw the damn trunk out and burn everything in it. Of course, that would never happen. So I think somehow, if the trunk survived, Max Miller got it. And there is an author and researcher that's worked for almost a decade on locating the trunk. And the trunk is, uh, it's kind of been like a shell game for this person. You know, oh, you think it's here? And then when you get there, nope, it's a little further away. And then when you get there or find somebody there, they go, oh, no, 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 it's not here anymore. It's a little further away. But apparently, it's if it exists, it's somewhere on the Navajo Nation. And who knows what's left of it. But the fascinating thing about John Miller's story after death is this assertion that whatever is in the trunk proves that John Miller was Billy the Kid. What could have been in that trunk that could prove that? And that's what I want to talk about today. So I had plenty of time on my drive down here to think about what kind of things could be in the trunk that would prove that John Miller was Billy the Kid. Now, the initial answer is there's nothing that could prove John Miller was Billy the Kid. I mean, there's nothing. John Miller could have written a letter that said, I'm Billy the Kid, or he could have had a picture of himself uh, standing next to, uh, I don't know, George Coe. That doesn't prove he's Billy the Kid. There's nothing that could actually prove it. But based on a 1937 burden of proof, um, without DNA available, I think there's some things that could point toward that. And it came up with three items that could be in the trunk that could point towards either John Miller being Billy the Kid or at least being close to Billy the Kid. The first item is a gun. Now, apparently, there actually was a gun in the trunk, but of course, this is all hearsay because no one's ever seen the trunk. There was a gun in the trunk, and it was sold to a collector in Canada. Uh, 
Now, if you look at pictures of uh, Miller in his older days, he carried a Colt, but a long-barreled Colt. You know, nothing like what we know Billy the Kid to carry. You know, a thirty-eight or forty-one Thunder or uh, Lightning. Uh, n- nothing like that. So, you know, perhaps he uh, he switched his favorite type of firearm, more accurate, maybe a long barrel. Yeah, but. But that wouldn't, you know, finding a gun that was in the picture of Miller as a 70-year-old guy doesn't prove he's Billy the Kid. I would have to assume it would have to be a 41 or 38 Colt Thunder Lightning. Um, And even then it wouldn't prove that Billy or that Miller was Billy the Kid. Because think about it. You know, the kid is arrested in uh, Stinking Springs, all of his possessions are taken. They didn't give him his guns back. Now, Garrett maybe takes the guns and the rest of the kid's possessions back to Lincoln, puts them in the armory, and maybe when Billy's, you know, after he kills Bell and Ollinger, he goes in the armory and says, hey, I think I'll take my guns instead of the first stuff I could find. I mean, maybe, but not very likely. So whatever guns Billy had, and I, I would assume he used a number of different guns during his time, uh, some that were taken, some that were lost, some that he took from somebody else. He took his rifle or a rifle off of Brady after he had killed him. So I don't know that a gun would necessarily prove it. It could point to the fact that maybe, you know, I don't know, perhaps it's Billy the Kid. But it wouldn't prove it. Item number two I came up with is picture pictures. Now, we believe that Billy had this, I think it's a ferrotype, not actually a tintype, taken uh, outside of Beaver Smith's saloon, Fort Sumner, 79, maybe early 80. And uh, there would have been generally four images uh, of that exact same photo. Uh, I think it was Paulita Maxwell that had one. And upon her passing, Charlie Four got it as, uh, you know, one of her, uh, it was left to him or, you know, he was offered it by the family. And then Charlie Four's house in uh, New Fort Sumner burned down with the picture in it, and that one was lost. But Dan Diedrich had one, and that's the one that the Koch brothers, uh, one of the Kochs, uh, owns now, and that's the only surviving one. Well, what if there was one of the other ones, a pristine copy of that ferrotype? Would that prove that Miller was Billy the Kid? Well, probably not. But it would certainly go a long way towards saying he was close to Billy the Kid to get one of, you know, at that point, pretty rare number of images. So what about other photographs? I mean, if you uh, belong to any of the social media, Facebook, you know, uh, Billy the Kid groups or Cold West Detective Agency, well, every day there's a new picture of Billy the Kid. (laughs) There's hundreds of them out there. You know, some days he looks like he's from the Bowery in New York City, was chomping on a cigar and in a suit from the 1930s. And then other days he looks like he's a little angelic boy, you know, sitting in a Victorian chair uh, with his uh, his rosy cheeks. But, you know, were there a score of other pictures? Did Billy have a photo album of sorts of his family members, of Joe, of uh, his mother, was there ever a picture of his real father, whoever that was? Were there pictures of Billy and the regulators? Like, I mean, was there this treasure trove of photographs that the probate court officer looked at and said, oh my God, this is the holy grail. 
this guy was Billy the Kid. That would be something. That would be something incredible. It would be it wouldn't be priceless, but it would be worth an extremely high amount of money. And as such, you'd have to wonder if anybody had that trunk with all those pictures. We would have seen some of them by now. Somebody would have come forward and said, hey, you know what, I don't want to tell you where I got these, but look, look at this. You know, here's Billy jumping over the wall to get Brady's rifle. Here's Billy, you know, running across the McSween's backyard at the end of the five-day battle. Here's Billy, you know, shaking hands with Governor Wallace. Like, like it, kind of like a, a Forrest Gumpian type thing where all of a sudden he's in the middle of all these events and we have photos. I mean, if there were photos that proved he was Billy the Kid, they would have to be spectacular, very timely, and with readily identifiable people from that time period. But we haven't seen any of those. No one's come forward with any photos from the purported trunk of John Miller. And so if it was photos or photos in a gun, we just don't have them. Somebody's hiding them all of these years later. Miller died in 37. That's 83, 85 years ago. You would think in 85 years, somebody would you know, had, that had heard of Billy the Kid would have said, hey, anybody want to see what's in this trunk? Give me a million dollars or a billion dollars or whatever. Or for the historical record. But no one's done that. The people that say the trunk exists continue to provide misdirection and go, well, it's over here, it's over here, oh, it's not there anymore, now we moved it. And that's usually kind of an indication of there isn't any trunk. But what's the number three item? What's the third item that could be in that trunk that could prove that John Miller was Billy the Kid, or at very least, he was right there side by side next to the kid? And the thing I came up with, and the thing that's always fascinated me, is the original letter from Governor Lou Wallace to W.H. Bonney in San Patricio, summoning him to the hut of Squire Wilson to talk about a, uh, an exchange of testimony for something. Billy testifies as to the killers of Houston Chapman, Susan McSween's lawyer, and the governor does something for him. And the history of this letter is fascinating, actually, riddled with so many, uh, you know, kind of holes and, uh, and loopholes and areas of escape that it's, if it could be found, it would point directly toward where, who Billy the Kid was or who Billy the Kid trusted. So let's talk a little bit more about the famous letter.
1879, Billy is in San Patricio. He wants to uh, find some way to go straight, get rid of his his uh, charges, and probably, you know, said, hey, you know what, this is no way to live. Find a better way. He writes to Governor Wallace, who's in Lincoln, and says, hey, I know who killed that one-armed lawyer. I can't come and testify because I have enemies that would kill me if I did, but if you could make my life safe, I'll do it. The governor says, hey, you know what? I need somebody to testify here. Might as well be this this young guy that was involved in the Lincoln County War. Sure, and he writes a letter to Billy, sends it off by messenger to San Patricio, and Billy gets the letter and meets the governor at the determined time and place. Squire Wilson's hut in Lincoln. If you read the letter today, it's important that you know that that is not the original. It could not be the original because Billy had the original. Unless you believe somehow that Billy showed up at Wallace's meeting and said, Hey, Governor, nice to meet you. Here's that letter where you're telling me how you're going to help save my life. I don't want it anymore. You can have it. (laughs) Uh, Not likely that that happened. But even less likely that it happened is that Billy directly references that letter when later on in 1881 early 1881, when he's in prison in Santa Fe and he writes to Wallace and says, I have letters dating back two years that parties are interested in seeing. I won't release those if you come and see me today. Now, I can't remember who it was. Somebody had said, oh, no, no, they're they're different letters that, that Billy was referring to. No, they weren't. Because Governor Wallace in 1902, in an interview with the Indianapolis World newspaper, said of that exact exchange, he said, I knew what he was uh, referencing. He was talking about the letter I wrote to him to meet me at the hut of the squire on the Mesa. I made a copy of the letter and furnished it to the local newspaper newspaper. telling them about the circumstances involved with that. I had them publish it, and I had a copy of the paper delivered to Billy in his cell, and I never heard a word from him again. Now, he certainly did hear from Billy again. Billy continued to write letters right up until the day he was leaving for La Masia for his trial. But even Wallace knew what letters Billy was referencing when he said he was going to release them to interested parties, which most likely would be the press. So at this point, Billy still has control of the letters, but he clearly doesn't have them with him. Or the letter. Let's, let's simplify it to that letter, because that's really the one in question. He doesn't have it with him because how could he? His possessions are taken away, right, when he's arrested by Garrett. Nowhere in the uh, uh, in the manifest does it state, you know, letter from Governor Wallace. And you might say, well, maybe, you know, Garrett is not going to take a piece of paper from him. Well, okay, but then you have to ask why the letter was not admitted as evidence in either of Billy's trials, the uh, territorial charge for, I'm sorry, the uh, federal charge for the killing of Buckshot Roberts was uh you know, was uh, quickly uh, withdrawn, and then the territorial charge. Why wouldn't his attorney say, hey, uh, by the way, judge, before we go forward, I have this letter from the governor that says he's going to pardon this kid if the kid testifies. Here's the kid's deposition when he did testify. So it looks like a deal was made. Maybe we should let him go. 
but that letter is never entered into the court record, which means Billy didn't have it. Certainly didn't give it to his lawyer and say, hey, you know what? The governor owes me a pardon or exempts me from prosecution. So where was the letter? Who would Billy trust with a letter that potentially could save his life? And if it could potentially save his life, why was it not there at the time of the trial? Could somebody not get there? Could Billy not get word to them from the time he was in prison in Santa Fe until he made his way down to La Masia for a trial and then made his way to Lincoln to be hanged in April? Like nobody could get on a horse or a wagon and get him the letter? He said he had it. So what does the letter say? Well, the letter that you read now says, I have the authority to exempt you from prosecution if you will testify as to what you know. The wording is really important here. I have the authority to do this. I'm not saying I'll do it. I'm just saying I can do it. It does not mention pardon. It does not mention leniency. I have the authority to exempt you from prosecution if you testify as to what you say you know. Wallace essentially promises nothing. Now, is that the kind of letter that Billy would have risked his life to testify against Dolan and Jesse Evans for? I don't know, maybe. He's a young guy. Maybe he thought that was his only way out. Or did the letter actually say that? Because here's the thing, Billy has the letter. The one you see today, you'll see a, kind of a photostatted copy, has a red uh, marking, kind of a square or a rectangular marking. That's from what's called a letter press. Back in 1878, 79, if you wanted to make a copy of a letter, you used a letter press. And it was a very special paper and ink that would be used. And it was this giant metal kind of cast iron deal where you'd screw the wheel down and squish one paper onto the original letter, and uh, then it would make a copy. And the governor's official correspondence would be copied because it wasn't, <laughs> there was no email chain. We didn't have carbon paper or anything. The problem was that uh, letterpress was very likely not existent in Lincoln. It's, it's a specialized piece of equipment. It's extremely heavy, 100 to 150 pounds. And I've talked to some experts in printing from that time, and they said, now that I, this is their opinion, very unlikely that Wallace would have traveled with a letterpress. It's just not a portable device that you throw in the wagon or in a train and go, hey, let's go to Lincoln for a, a month. So there were two ways to make a copy letterpress or to write another copy. You write one letter and then you write another one. You keep it for yourself. Of course, that leaves the, the opportunity that the second one you write doesn't match the first one. I think there's a real chance. I believe there's a real chance that Wallace wrote the letter to Bonnie. He sends it to him. Bonnie keeps the letter. Wallace keeps all of Bonnie's letters after that. They're all in his papers except this one except this one that he wrote to 
Bonnie to come and meet him for this parlay, that's not in his papers. Why? Because he never had it. Billy did. It's found later, and I, again, I wish I could do the, the research, but my internet sucks out here. Thanks for that, Brushy. Um, it's found either in the, uh, in the uh, Haley collection or in the Mullen collection. A copy of the letter is found and then photostatted and then provided. So it's never found in Wallace's papers. And if you listen to Wallace's interview in the Indianapolis World, he said, I furnished a copy of the letter to the local newspaper. So Wallace had to have something to copy, either his original or a letterpress of his the handwritten one that he had to copy when he was down in Lincoln. He had to make two copies when he sent one off to Billy. Billy seemed, you know, sure that he was offered a pardon. I mean, he, he talked about getting a pardon. Uh, other people have talked about leniency. You know, hey, maybe you get a slap on the wrist or you serve six months or you, I don't know, <laughs> sweep up the streets of Lincoln or something like that. Uh, but leniency. But those things are never, ever mentioned. Maybe they're mentioned in the meeting, but they're definitely not mentioned in writing. Why a disparity? Why did Billy believe one thing and Wallace produced something completely different? Well, here's a theory. This is my theory. That Wallace wrote one letter, sent it to Bonnie. Bonnie kept it, threatened to release the letter. So Wallace said, well, that little son of a bitch is going to release the letter. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to write it from memory and I'm going to rewrite it. And I'm going to tell him I have the authority to exempt him from prosecution, but I'm not going to promise anything. Then I'm going to make a copy of the letter that I wrote here in early 1881 when Billy's just a couple blocks away in prison, and I'm going to give that copy to the Santa Fe New Mexican. They're going to publish it. I'm going to send it to Billy, and that'll be that. I'm out of here anyway. I'm going to Constantinople. I'm the new ambassador to Turkey, I think. So... In that case, all you would need to do is find where it was printed in the New Mexican. The problem? The New Mexican's archives, Santa Fe New Mexican's archives, burned in the early part of the 20th century, and all of those records, all their, their newspapers were uh, archives were lost. There is no copy of the New Mexican from that time frame where you'd be able to find this, this published letter and see what it said. But I believe what it said is exactly what's on that letter that some researcher, uh, Haley or, or Mullen, found in that they probably got it from, I don't know, from who? <laughs> they didn't get it from Billy, that's for sure. So, would the paper prove that John Miller was Billy the Kid? Well, think about this. Your life's on the line. Now you've been arrested by Garrett. Your two best pals have been killed by Garrett. And you're going on trial for murder of Sheriff Brady. You're pretty desperate. And I think at that point you throw up the Hail Mary and use whatever you have at your disposal to defend yourself. Who would you have left this vitally important letter with? Well, one could be Paulita Maxwell. 
and whether she and the kid were lovers or an item or whatever is immaterial. Paulita Maxwell's an upstanding citizen. It's not like the next sheriff that comes through Fort Sumner is going to arrest her and throw her in jail, right? So she's stable. She's probably trustworthy. She's probably somebody that you could leave something like this with and know that when you got back there, you could get it back. That's one opportunity. Who else would be a friend of Billy's, would be interested in helping him, and would be trustworthy enough to hold on to a piece of paper that his very life could hang in the balance of? Well, there's, you know, Jesus Silva, there's a number of people that you could probably uh, talk about in Fort Sumner, uh, a bunch of guys. And I don't know, I'm not in Billy's head to tell you who he would have felt comfortable leaving it with. So there's probably a scattering of other people. But there's one other, one other person that I thought about. I don't think it would be Pete Maxwell. I, I, I believe, again, just my belief, that Pete had had enough with Billy and had an informant, you know, let Garrett know that Billy was around Fort Sumner. And I would imagine that being an astute kid that had, you know, stayed alive by his wits that long, that Billy probably knew that Pete Maxwell was not long his friend. Um, So who else would be in Fort Sumner that Billy could trust? Well, how about Manuela Bowdry, Charlie's widow? It was uh, said that Billy spoke uh, Spanish much better than Charlie and could communicate with Manuela um, (laughs) much more effectively than Charlie could with his own wife. Uh, Manuela, Charlie, and Billy all listed in the 1880 census working at the Yerby Ranch. Uh, So, you know, they were potentially living together. And so there had to be some closeness there. And people have asked, well, who is Isadora? Was she Manuela Boudry? Don't know. There's some evidence that Manuela remarried somebody else, but the evidence is so sketchy from those times. And the, the thought was that perhaps this young man had gotten shot somehow, somewhere around July of 1881. And then he took this woman he was going to marry to Las Vegas and married her, this slight Hispanic woman. Matches the description we know about Manuela Boudry. Could Isadora have been Manuela? Could Billy have made his escape from Fort Sumner, taken a bullet from somebody a week beforehand, had Manuela nurse him back to health, and taken her and the letter, put it in their trunk, traveled the Rama and Zuni area of New Mexico, and then from Phoenix up to Prescott before Manuela died in a fire or died from the effects of smoke inhalation from a fire. I mean, could, could, could this thing have come full circle? And that vital piece of paper that only one person in the world could have, whether it was Billy or whoever he gave it to, Billy didn't have a letterpress to go making copies of it. Uh, could that have been the thing in that trunk that the probate officer probate court officer in Phoenix looked at and said, oh my God, this is Billy the Kid. (sighs) 
Well, the answer is we don't know. We don't know. But it's possible. Brushy Bill had a trunk, too. Supposedly with his two, was it incisors? Is that what you call the front teeth? That were pulled uh, at some point by a dentist, and he kept those in there and other stuff. And his trunk magically disappeared after he died as well. Both his and Miller's, the trunk brothers. Was that letter in Brushy's trunk? If it was, then he must have had possession of it. Why didn't he bring it to the meeting with Governor Mabry? Mabry. Mabry. I call him Mabry. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you bring that? Give it to your attorneys, the attorney group out of El Paso that Morrison hired. Bring that to the governor's meeting. There's not that much left to discover. Yeah, there's some question about where Billy was born, how old he was, and there's research going on there, but kind of irrelevant. Like, I mean, who, who cares? I, people care. I don't care. I don't care if he was born in New York or Wisconsin or Waterloo. or It doesn't matter to me. I don't care whether he was you know, 18 or 19 when he died or 21. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference, right? That's, the, the story doesn't change. I do care if he lived on as John Miller or Brushy Bill Roberts or Luis Jaramillo or Babe Ruth. And I, and I do want to know why and how and where that happened. And the infamous probate court clerk from Phoenix uttered the phrase, whatever's in this trunk proves that this guy is Billy the Kid, or he didn't. But if he did, he knows something that the rest of us don't. And he took that secret, apparently, to the grave. If you find the letter, if it still exists, the original of the letter, you find the kid. So if you're listening, go look in your attic (laughs) or through your high school yearbook or talk to your friends. Somewhere out there, there's a possibility that the letter still exists. The original of the letter to Lou Wallace. It could still exist. And if you find it and can trace the provenance, who had it, when they had it, when they handed it off to somebody else, you could find out who Billy trusted with his life. And if you find it in a trunk somewhere on the Navajo Nation reservation with the Miller family or descendants of the Miller family, and it's in there alongside that little photograph in a 41 Thunder or Lightning, then you probably found Billy the Kid. But until we find that, the search goes on. Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode of All Things Billy about John Miller's mystery trunk. You can uh, contact the show simply by writing to me at billythekidridesagain at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at BTK Rides. Or, of course, you can just find me on social media and insult me there. I don't care. Uh, John Miller's going to get his day in court in the final trial of Billy the Kid, my new film, which will be released on July 14th, 2022, a courtroom drama where Pat Garrett, Brushy Bill Roberts, and John Miller all get their story heard in front of a court, and we have the verdict. The verdict is in. I'll put the system on trial. 
you're going to have to wait for that. But until then, I am your host, Michael Anthony Giudicissi. I love you. You love me. We're a great big family. And I'm a purple dinosaur. We'll see you next time. Take care.